Hello there, and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device. Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and LVAD from the social work perspective and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients, as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team. Welcome back, Beats by Social Work listeners. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany. We hope you enjoyed our last episode. Thank you so much for those of you who have given us feedback through our social media. Honestly, we cannot begin to express how much we appreciate hearing from our listeners. And as we always say, our goal is to keep the human element in the world of transplant and left ventricular assist device while also bringing education and resources to the community at large. So keeping with the theme of Donate Life Month, we have a truly special episode for you. And we are honored to welcome David Fleming, president and CEO of Donate Life America. Hello. Hello. And as always, David, we actually like to start with a quote to get our show going. Today, I found actually a poem. It's called The Legacy by Daniel Mark Ekstrom. I didn't mean to leave so soon. So much left undone. We always think that later's there. It comes with every son. My family loved me very much and taught me well to share. And I am able yet to give, though I am not there. There is a special part of me that helps someone to live. I've done something great, you see. I've found a way to give. I'm grateful I can help someone. I've left a legacy. So someone else can yet live on with some help for me. That's great. Felt that was pretty fitting considering the topic of conversations today. Absolutely. So over the past 30 years, Donate Life America has driven the efforts to increase organ, eye, and tissue donation. That's both publicly and within the professional donation and transplantation community. Through wisdom and experience and the actions of dedicated volunteers and talented leaderships, Donate Life America continues to produce effective campaigns and monumental initiatives saving more lives. So welcome, David. I can speak for both of us and our audience to say it's an absolute privilege to have you on our episode. We can only imagine how much work it is to run Donate Life as the president and CEO. So we appreciate you taking the time out of that busy schedule to to talk with us. And so, you know, we often take information from your websites to to read out loud to our Mm -hmm. audience. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in Donate Life? Uh, Sure. So um, I guess I was the benefit factor of having a bit of an early midlife crisis, which came to me in my late 20s. In my first career, I worked in public accounting. I did auditing and mergers and acquisitions work. And um, my wife at the time was an executive at a company you guys may have heard of called Capital One. You've probably seen them once or twice. Just a few times. Once or twice, maybe. (laughs) Just a couple of times. And we sort of realized that we were sort of ships crossing in the night. You know, we were eating dinner at 11 o'clock and not seeing each other very much. But I remember sitting down to one particular dinner. My wife remembers this a little bit differently, but this is the way I remember it. And she basically looked at me and said, you need to find a new job or you need to find a new mm. wife. Ooh. So I always jokingly say, I think I might, I made the right decision by taking a new job. <laughs> um, but really it set me on <laughs> it set me on a path of really trying to figure out I'm a, 
grew up in the church. I'm a preacher's kid and watched my family really serve the community around us. Always had a little bit of that inkling to want to give back. Um, so really took this job. Then it was called the Coalition on Donation. It was still housed within the United Network for Organ Sharing. This was in the sort of late 90s. And I was a 29-year-old kid that knew public accounting. and But I ended up being the marketing director for what's now called PricewaterhouseCoopers. And so I remember in my interview, I was the only candidate, I believe, under the age of 50. And I wasn't mm-hmm. even 30 yet. Um, but I was using words that other candidates weren't using, like the internet and our ability to leverage the coming media craze that we were seeing begin in the late 90s with the dot-com era and really fell in love with the cause of organized tissue donation from the very beginning. I thought I was probably going to be in this position for two or three years till I figured out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And here I am 25 years later. Wow. Yeah. Spent almost my life doing this. So That is wonderful. Passion for sure. And that's what we say. You, you Most of the time, there's something in there that keeps you in the world of transplant and organ donation in, as work. Mm-hmm. And that shows how passionate you are. So we know that Donate Life is the leader in organ donation awareness. But can you share with us how the organization started and grew to become the overall brand for the cause? And I'll add to that, how does Donate Life remain current with their information, facts, data, that sort? Sure. So I'll start with the last part. We remain current. We have great partnerships with the SRTR, the Scientific Registry for Transplant Recipients. We are so lucky to have John Snyder, who basically runs the SRTR on Donate Life America's board. Um, So John is always keeping us up to speed on not even just the basic blocking and tackling data, how many patients are waiting, how many patients are waiting for which organs, but also on trends that we're seeing in donation and transplantation. Um, John pointed out to us, for example, that we were seeing that the number of living donors had remained flat for quite some time, while deceased donation continued to increase year over year. So what's the genesis behind this relatively flat living donor number? Um, So that gave us a reason to dig into that. And I'm sure we'll get to how Donate Life America is beginning to play a role in that later. Um, But the organization, sort of the the father of Donate Life America as it stands now, was a gentleman named Dr. James Wolfe. And he was a transplant surgeon. He had retired from surgery. And he, at the time, was the chief medical director at the United Network for Organ Sharing. And I don't know if you've ever seen Disney does this great chart or they used to about people's imagination, how imaginative and how creative we are, this creative scale. And that we're very creative when we're young. It's really peaks and then it starts to dip. And the interesting thing is it starts to dip around third grade and it starts to dip around third grade because that's when you start taking tests and they start telling you that there are right answers and there are wrong answers. So our creativity dips and then it stays relatively flat until then it increases again and it increases when we retire. Oh. Um, so Dr. Wolf was on the heels of his, his retirement, was very creative, and he recognized that there was no national brand for organ, eye, and tissue donation. There were a lot of great people, a lot of great organizations doing great work, but we were all sort of running in different directions. And he recognized that in the consumer world, incredible brands, like I just mentioned Capital One earlier, Geico, McDonald's, Starbucks, Nike, all of those brands have a very consistent brand image and brand presence, and that's what creates trust among consumers. They're anticipating what that brand means when they get it. It means quality clothing. It means quality coffee. And for us, there was no national brand for organized tissue donation that meant you can trust us, you can have faith in the system, and really an opportunity for consumers to get to know the cause of organized tissue donation. So it started as the Coalition on Donation. Early 2000s, we did a brand research project and um, what grew out of that was this concept of donating life and that not only was it 
brand from an image standpoint. It was also that organized tissue donation is not about dying. It's about living. It's about donating life. Mm -hmm. And that phrase actually came from a third grader who said that in an interview. He said, well, to me, organ donation is not about dying. It's about living. It's about donating life. So that was the, the genesis of us using that phrase. We also like it because the name is also a call to action. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. all, not only who we are, it's what we want you to do, which is to donate life. That's amazing. And I love that a third grader gave us the perspective that we need. And sometimes it's it's all through the eyes of babes, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so long story short, Dr. Wolf created this concept. Um, it was had been operational for a couple of years before I joined, uh, as I said, in the late 90s. And uh, we originally were housed within the United Network for Organ Sharing. We were able to share a lot of resources with them. Um, and then towards the late 2000s, like 2010, 11, 12, in that area, uh, we left and became a completely physically independent organization. Mm. We've always been legally distinct as a 501c3 separate from the United Network for Organ Sharing, but certainly great great gratitude to that organization for allowing us to spread our wings. And now not only are we legally independent, we're also physically independent with our own offices. Wow. And you have your own mission statement. And, you know, your mission statements to increase the number of donated organs, eyes and tissues available to save lives, heal lives, while developing a culture where donation is embraced as a fundamental human responsibility, which goes right back into it's about living. But how, how did you guys work to morph that culture and the development of that culture? Yeah. And I think that's something we're still trying to keep our finger on. Yep. Uh, as individuals that have worked in this industry, um, I would say with complete confidence, the one thing this industry likes the least is change. <laughs> um, the culture around us, as we've seen in the last 10 years, is constantly changing rapidly. And one of our challenges is keeping up to speed with what is happening culturally. A phrase that we use is we want to reach, and we use the word consumer. I don't mean that you know to overshadow the incredible gifts that we're doing, but to meet consumers or to meet potential donors at home, at work, at worship, and at play, like these four legs of a stool. And so it's the opportunity for us to use trends and culture to then bring registration opportunities, opportunities to have a conversation to consumers where they are. Our, one of our huge challenges in creating culture is cutting through our current media clutter. You know, when I grew up, everyone knew who shot JR on Dallas because everyone watched Dallas, right? Everyone watched the Super Bowl. Well, in today's world, you know, I have 600 cable channels. I have Netflix. Netflix, I have, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. So creating common experiences in today's culture is very difficult. So I'd say we're, we're still working on it. Our goal with that phrase of culture was, you know, when I grew up as a kid, we didn't wear seatbelts that often. And then there was this huge push to have everyone, you know, click it or ticket, right? Um, at my age now, if I get in the car with my now adult children that are in college and don't put my seatbelt on, I get yelled at because it's considered, it's what you do. It's mm -hmm. not optional. Get in the car, we put on a seatbelt. So our goal is to move that cultural adoption and acceptance of organized tissue donation, probably more similarly to the way people think about being a blood donor. There's no controversy around donating blood. So it's to take advantage of the incredible generosity and the surreal stories that we're able to tell, sort of the sex appeal of organized tissue donation. At the same time, while not making it seem out of the ordinary, because it should be a fundamental human responsibility. That's what we do. We don't want to dumb it down to the point that we don't celebrate these incredible stories and this opportunity to give life. So we 
we want it to be normal and common and still heroic all at the same time. Yeah. And that's tough, but so doable. You know, we see it, Kristen and I working in the field, it's normal for us, but then you talk Mm -hmm. to someone that's outside of the field and still I get surprised sometimes when someone says, oh, wow, they do, they do that type of transplant. Mm -hmm. You're like, yes, are you signed up to be an organ donor? In fact, here, you can actually do it on your phone now. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, introducing the cause to people. We don't trust who we don't know. Right. We don't we don't trust strangers on the streets that we meet. So the importance of storytelling and and keeping this as top of mind as we can, as I said, in this fractured media market. Um, And that's why it's so great that now with the technology, we have social media, we're able to share stories more real time. You're able to go find information, obviously, much easier and to research things and to get to know us from a number standpoint, the way the system works. I still think our community has a long way to go with helping people understand the way the system works. Um, To your point, Tiffany, I meet people all the time that have known I've done this for 20 years, and they still are blindsided when they recognize that, oh, you have to die in a hospital to be an organ donor. You know, people think, you know, we have accidents, we have tragedies happen all the time. Why don't you guys have enough organs? Yeah. Um, And helping them understand, you know, it's 1% of 1% of all deaths, if you do the math, Mm -hmm. are basically eligible to be organ donors. So that funnel goes from very big to very small, very quickly. Um, And that doesn't include, you know, rule outs for cancer and other conditions. So it's when people sort of get their brain around the fact that we're dealing with this finite resource from a deceased owner standpoint, obviously living donation has great opportunity. Um, But I still find that people who are smart and get most things are still surprised when they hear that. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll jump in with a personal story, if I may, uh, because it does lead into my question. But my my wedding was in April. And as you know, that's Donate Life Month. And this was years back, mm-hmm. not this April. But I, for our wedding favors, I got donated quite a few of the Donate Life uh, lapel pins and had a little card made that said, you know, with the celebration of marriage and the celebration of life, consider being organ donor. And it worked beautifully with, of course, what I do for a living and the month that we got married. And I remember one of our groomsmen came up to me and he said, I can't thank you enough for making this a favor. My mom passed away waiting for a kidney. And if there had been more awareness, maybe her donor would have been available. Mm -hmm. And so very, it very much touched me and to be able to kind of hijack your logo for my wedding selfishly. (laughs) That's what we want people to do. And that's, um, and you know, we're obviously corporately very proud of the work we do. Um, And most of the work we do is on the shoulders of people like you, giving you the opportunity to share those stories and to be a representative in, in your community. It makes it's much more important for your friend to have heard that from you than to have heard it from me. It's those relationships that we create and these tentacles that we have in our communities. And, you know, once I'm going to say this, I think the most important word donation transplantation is trust. And, um, you know, we trust who we know. And we've seen that. We did a, a research project about a year ago now. And it wasn't a surprise to us. It was a surprise to a lot of people in the field that very clearly what consumers told us was, we don't want to hear this from celebrities. We don't want to hear this from politicians. We don't want to hear this from famous people. We want real stories of real people in our community. They were interested in hearing it from their physicians, which was an interesting twist. And by physician, it's their personal physician, the person they have chosen to care for them in their community, not the ER doctor, right? 
mm-hmm. not the neurologist in the emergency room, but their personal physician. So we're in the process now of figuring out how we can begin to leverage the physician community, which, you know, is a challenge because they don't have a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, that's a very good point. But I think there's a way to do it. My mind is already spinning of like, there's actually probably a way and you could probably involve social workers somehow in into that. Just like yeah, I we- saw that was a question coming up. So <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so I did want to touch on the logo and the power of that logo. So Tiffany and I noticed the that the logo has a backstory and that there was there's symbolism and depth to it. And I would love for you to share some of that with our listeners. Yeah, so there was a gentleman, uh, his name's Kevin Smolin, who at the time, I believe, was still on staff at the United Network for Organ Sharing when we started this brand essence project is what we called it. Tons of research, tons of card sorting, you know, what images fit with organized tissue donation, typical kind of marketing uh, brand project. And of course, we found that it kept coming back to life and living. People were more inspired by stories of hope and stories of life. While stories of tragedy are powerful, they're hard to inspire people to take action. So the inspiration piece comes more from stories of hope. Um, The other ones are great for education, but not quite as good for um, inspiring. So all of this led us to this concept of donate life. Um, So Kevin then left, you know, so went to work for a private agency. And he was the gentleman who really took the words and the concept and formulated it into now what we see is the Donate Life logo. And the representation in there is obviously blue and green are our our colors. The sky is blue. The green is earth, right? And we have this horizon line. And then on the horizon line, people will notice that little swirl, uh, which was originally a dot. And we changed it to a swirl because it is a common Gaelic, Native American, many cultures use it as a symbol for life, where life begins and it's ongoing and it's moving and it's changing over time. Um, So that little swirl in there is actually to be a symbol of life. And then, of course, the action that it's donate life. That's really incredible. We went through all sorts of, it was orange and purple at one point, (laughs) uh, but when we noticed the sky and the earth, the blue and the green, that was sort of the thing that hit. Well, and it works perfect. It does, and blue and green day just has a better ring. Yeah. (laughs) That and Earth Day is in April, so there's a correlation there too. Okay. Tiffany, do you want to jump in with the next question? Because I know we rearranged a bit. Yeah, I just wanted to, to make sure that we bring this part up too. Part of the missions with Donate Life is talking about the National Donate Life Registry. And mm-hmm. I want to I want you to to talk to listeners and, about that a little bit more because, you know, we often hear, hear things, you know, oh yeah, my family knows their wishes or it's on my driver's license. I don't need to do that. But sharing about what it means to to be part of the National Donate Life Registry and what what the involvement from Donate Life America is with that. Sure. Um, so the genesis of the reason we created the National Registry, which lives at registerme.org, um, was what I said earlier, which is to bring registration opportunities to consumers, to our audiences, where they are as part of everyday life. We absolutely adore, love, and honor our DMV partners because our DMV partners still register the vast majority of people who register as organized tissue donors. It does show up on a driver's license. But having said that, you know, that system is designed to get the results that it gets. Mm. There are a certain number of people that are comfortable registering in that environment. You know, it's also one occasion, maybe not the best place to ask somebody to register because maybe they're not happy that they've been waiting an hour and a half. Um, so asking them to be generous after they've just spent <laughs> two hours waiting for a 
transaction may not be the best pairing. So we recognized that we had this system that was registering 35 to 45, 50% of people in states, depending on how, how well they were doing. Um, but it was this opportunity to partner with an organization like Apple and iPhone, who approached us and said, you know, in honor of the founder of Apple who received a transplant, we want to do something to help. So imagine us trying to get Apple to link to 50 different state registries with different calls to action at different URLs and those sorts of things. They're like, you know, we would like this to be as simple as downloading a song from iTunes, right? That's the Apple way. Mm -hmm. We want us to be consumer friendly. So that opportunity came along at the exact moment where we were trying to figure out, should we launch sort of an independent national registry? The purpose is not to cannibalize all the other work that's out there, registering people, as I said, through our DMV partners and others. It was to make it easier for consumers. Um, so we had this opportunity to create our national registry. It, if you can type, it takes less than a minute to register on the national registry. We've boiled down the questions to only the key legal questions we need to ask. Um, we have an electronic signature, so we know that 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 authorization can be legally acted upon by our recovery partners. Um, and then to give organizations like Apple a single easy call to action. Register to be a donor, do it here in your health app on your iPhone. Um, we've since partnered with other organizations like Walgreens has been a great partner during Donate Life Month. So it's in today's electronic world, sending a person, that giving them 50 choices to do something is not, not very consumer friendly. So the idea, once again, is to make it as easy and as simple as we can for someone to make that decision when they decide to make this generous gift. And to date, I just looked this morning, we have over 11 million people that have registered in the Donate Life National Registry. So we're sort of a medium-sized state. You know, there are a number of states out there that have about that many people registered. And to the other part of your question, you know, we still encourage people make this legal decision so we can act on your legal decision and the importance of sharing that with your family. Um, you know better than I do that most of these families are being asked a question about being generous and probably the worst day of their life. You you know, they woke up that day thinking this is going to be a day just like any other. The next thing you know, they're in a hospital setting and they're having a conversation. And I would suggest that's probably not the best time to be thinking about what you want to do. You know, I've experienced grief myself on a number of occasions. I always say that grief isn't the only emotion. It's just the most powerful one. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult, you know, when you have a loved one in that situation. I don't want to pick out suit my father's going to wear in his casket, or I don't want to pick out this, much less you're asking me this heavy question about do I want to donate? organs, eyes, and tissue. So the timing's just not great, as you know. So the extent to which people can, one, it's legal, we're going to act on that. Um, and two, the comfort of your family knowing that they're honoring your wish. They're doing what you would have wanted and having that clarity of mind and comfort knowing that they're following through with your gift. And the other thing I would say is, you know, organized tissue donation is based in gift law. Those are the same laws that govern your last will and testament, right? That governs your will. And we take great steps in our society to say who we want to have our car, who we want to have our house, who we want to have our stuff, right? Well, you know, this is the most important stuff that we have to give is this opportunity to give life. So I think that same dedication to making sure people know what you want to do is it's a gift to your family. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly I think can help as, as you know, as social workers, we don't use this as the tip of the spear saying, if your loved one donated, you're going to feel better, it's going to help you. But we know the long term reality of that is that gift is very comforting and really does help people through that grief journey. Absolutely. And the grief journey of organ donation and that 
entire process is so unique and you're right. It just pays mm-hmm. into that, that entire process. Um, I, I also would like for us to go back to that living donation piece that you mentioned earlier. So can you tell us more about how someone could become a living donor, what that looks like and uh, specifically for who may be interested in being a living donor, but never really thought of it. They don't have someone that they're personally impacted by. Yeah. Um, so I think once again, this is the Donate Life America Board of Directors four or five years ago set out to figure out how, number one, should we get involved in increasing living donation? Um, if we made the decision to do that, what would be the assets or what are what's the expertise that we have available to us that would help increase the number of lives saved through living donation? Um, so of course, that's our media presence. That's our technology with our national registry. Um, so we set out, number one, to educate people, to your point, about the option of living donation. We recognize that it's not perfect for everyone, but it's certainly something that people who are generous should consider and find out if they might be a suitable living donor. And then we know that everyone is a match for someone out there waiting. And with the advances that have happened in kidney paired donation, the ability to donate to be part of a chain, and particularly from an altruistic donor standpoint, to be able to kick off a chain that may save seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 or more lives um, is incredible. So leveraging this power of generosity. And so we are currently pilot testing in the state of Texas, um, the ability for individuals who register on our national registry to then get more information, get educated about living donation, and they can start the process of where do they live? They can select a transplant center that they're referred to, and then the transplant center will then contact that individual to discuss the living donation option for them. We have a quick sort of health screening questionnaire just to sort of shortcut the process. The last thing we want to do is inundate our transplant center partners with candidates that, you know, aren't close to the BMI line or, or have cancer or something like that. So it's, um, or heart disease. So we want to filter it a little bit, but really putting into the hands of, frankly, some of your peers at these transplant centers that are reaching out to these potential living donors um, and having the more serious questions about, is this right for you? You know, why are you contemplating this? And then letting the medical experts. So it's our opportunity just to use the volume of activity we have through social media, through our national registry. Um, So we're pilot testing in Texas. We have had our first official um, living donor who came through that, who kicked off a chain. They ended up saving, I believe, helping save 11 lives um, as part of a peer donation chain as an altruistic donor. Uh, His name was Camden. So he's one of our first first living donor heroes. So our our hope is that after we get the system, you know, we like, you know, we test for a reason, test, test, test. Um, But our hope is at some point, this is more of a national opportunity where we can really help accelerate the number of living donors. Ah, That would be amazing. Well, that and congratulations. Let's just sit with that for a minute that we've got the first one, right? It only takes one to start it. And that's awesome. And my understanding is we've got a few more in the pipeline. So we'll, uh, you know, fingers crossed and prayers that some of those come through as well. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you were saying with the trust. They they see that there's a form versus someone saying, hey, you should be a living donor. Hey, would you be a living donor for me? They have the tools to, to really go through those questions on their own as well to, to learn a little mm-hmm. bit more about it. So go Camden. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, and so to that point, it sounds like you guys do your research and you are doing, you do the pilots to make sure that this is something that is appropriate and you're involved in quite a bit within the community. Tell us more about areas that other people that may not know Donate Life America as well, they would or should know about that you guys participate. So outside of the, you know, keeping up with the registry, keeping up with that, tell us a a little bit more about other areas within Donate Life America. 
Sure. Um, one of the things that we're most proud of is we have a Donate Life state team in every state in the United States. Some of these are very sophisticated. They're their own 501c3s that operate very corporately that um, are all behind the same goals that we have to increase the number of lives that are saved and healed. Some of them are more loose-knit partnerships, but our state teams tend to have representatives from recovery organizations, organized tissue recovery organizations. Many of our state teams have partnerships with their DMV, their Department of Motor Vehicles. Many of them have partnerships with local and state agencies transplant center partners that are all part of this. And it's, once again, as I said earlier, it's creative, talented, and connected people, but getting them to all march in the same direction and to use their connections, you know, to identify that Fortune 500 company that might want to send out a message to all of their employees for Donate Life Month with an opportunity to register. You know, the ability to find that story of someone working in an organization and then use that story to tell to their peers and in their communities. So it's really grassroots. Um, we like to talk about this as we create some ideas and opportunities at the national level that filter down. Um, but then we also identify best practices that are born by people like you with this great wedding idea and then pushing that up so then we can share those best practices. So it's a, a network we, that we can just push and pull of sharing best practices. And um, you know, every couple of weeks, we, we hear something new, which is amazing. We have the opportunity and the, and the network to be able to share that. Uh, you just uh, really said saying the, the words of my heart when you said best practices, because that is a very much a social work buzzword, <laughs> especially in the world mm -hmm. of transplant. And so to segue from that, how do you think our social work listeners could partner more or what do you see the relationship between social workers and Donate Life looking like? And how can we raise awareness or help you in your journey? Sure. And I think um, getting back to something we discussed earlier, it's the importance of these relationships. You know, it's mm -hmm. um, we read and see a lot of articles where one might suggest that there's a silver bullet, like there's some technology change. There's some there's going to be some change in policy that's somehow going to radically change the way people think, act and feel towards organized tissue donation. And I often remind our partners and employees and other people we work with, this is a people driven cause at the mm -hmm. center of everything that we do is a person and at the center of that person is a story and everybody's story is different. So creating those real connections, the relationships with people, I think is the most important thing. We try and do it through our storytelling to create relationships, but they pale in comparison to, you know, being able to have a conversation or to be consulted or to consult with someone like yourselves that not only are trained to deal with all of the emotions and all the different stories, but also are there in person. You know, it's, um, we can't do this work without hands and hearts and minds and they're all connected to people. So while we leverage technology to reach more people, but it really does still come back to those relationships. And I think, um, as I saw Tiffany's bells going off, social workers working in other areas of medicine, um, we're starting to see there has been, or at least I'm hearing that there are fewer and fewer medical schools, for example, that have a training module about donation and transplantation. And we're, we're starting to maybe see a trend where sort of our local champion, you know, our local champions and are moving around so much now, um, you know, turnover in healthcare right now is crazy. Um, mm -hmm. So losing that donor champion at a donor hospital, you know, could be really devastating if there's not someone there within the organization talking about the importance of honoring these gifts and making sure that we're helping save lives. So I think social workers will really help us not only with patients, um, but also within your organizations being spokespeople that this needs to remain an important priority to identify potential donors, to honor those gifts, to treat the families with respect and give them the care that they 
they need afterwards. Um, it's really that spectrum of education. So being champions within your organization, even if it's a physician's office, you know, inspire your physician to have a conversation where they're doing annual checkups about living donation. You know, it's also an opportunity, I think, for we don't do a lot on prevention other than providing, you know, when it comes to prevention, I always say we want to be the moon. We don't want to be the sun. We want to reflect all the incredible work that other people are doing and give people access to it. But, you know, staying healthy enough to get a transplant, keeping yourself off the transplant list, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one way we can really fight this is to to keep people from needing a transplant. So all of those, I know that's a bunch of stuff I threw out there. But as I said, at the heart of any good idea, at the heart of any opportunity as a person in this industry, we can't use technology to solve this. Policy isn't going to solve it. It's just increasing trust and and leveraging people. So, uh, but I think, yeah, there's a real need for us to have champions that are out there really making sure this stays top of mind, whether it's a transplant center, a donor hospital, a physician's office, a clinic, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I said, I, I my, my bells are turning on that. Uh, and I, social workers are advocates. Part of our, part of our background is being advocates. And so, especially I think when we are in the world of social work, uh, transplant social work, it's even more. I, I know I've written some, some letters to my local Starbucks, for instance, when there was Earth Day mm-hmm. and their cake pops happened to be green and blue. And so I actually wrote them and said, you know, it's also Donate Life Month and green and blue are those colors. What if you, you know, trying to, but I'm one person, however, I still send them just because it makes me feel like I'm doing something. (laughs) Well, so... Um, a quote that I don't know if it made its way through to you guys this morning. So one of my favorite quotes is by Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin said, said, don't worry about people stealing your ideas because if your idea is truly good, you're going to have to shove it down their throats. Mm. Right? Oh, that so, is good. Yeah. So we've done a lot of shoving down people's throats with our national registry <laughs> and other, you know, we've done some crazy things over the last couple of years that uh, fortunately were very effective. I don't know if you guys stumbled on the short, I call it a short film that we did several years ago about the world's biggest asshole who becomes an organ donor. Yes. His name is Coleman Sweeney. Our tagline, even an asshole can save a life. So you might imagine People working within donation and transplantation were a bit caught off guard by that. And that was done by the Martin Agency, which is our agency of record here. They do Geico is how they're most well-known for their work. But they're like, this is a really edgy idea intended to cut through media clutter to get people's attention, to educate people in a surprising way, and then to leave them inspired with a call to action. And fortunately for us, fortunately for me, we had 100 million views in the first week and we spent $0 promoting it. So I just say that your crazy idea about one individual talking to Starbucks, every idea starts with one person talking to somebody else. So I always say there there are no bad ideas. We may have done it before and we can let you know that we tried it, but there are no bad ideas when it comes to saving lives. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. They're just ideas that maybe need some more formulation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what do you see the future? What is your hope for the future of Donate Life America? Yeah. So we would certainly would like to see our culture move more towards really embracing it as a fundamental human responsibility. You know, we are fortunate that we now have over of adults in this country have taken a legal step to say they want to be an organized tissue donor, which is incredible. But yet we still see patients, of course, that are dying waiting because that demand continues to far outstrip our supply of available organs and organs in particular for for transplant. So I think, you know, hopefully there'll be some technological changes coming from, you know, xenotransplant to 3D printing of organs and those sorts of technological changes. But in the meantime, Donate Life America, we'd like to play an increasing role in living donation, particularly for patients waiting for kidneys. If every single person in America that could be an organ donor was an organ donor, we still wouldn't have enough organs, unfortunately, to meet the demand. So we know we're fighting, you know, we have 
have a broken system because we're, we're just never going to have enough from deceased donation unless we can get a handle on this demand side and decrease the number of patients that are waiting in need of a transplant to save their life. So our vision is to keep using the tools that we have to try and encourage more and more and more Americans to do that, to continue to do research, to get smarter about what messages are reaching which audience, and then the, to look for the next the next big thing. Hopefully, living donation will be part of that. But certainly, you know, we there's as I said, there's always some policy pressure, people wanting to try different things. We hear the, you know, a lot of people look at the Spanish model and think that opt out or presumed consent may really work well in the United States. I personally think it would be a disaster here. And I've got all sorts of reasons for that. But um, it's um, the, this opportunity to continue to leverage um, our ability to get in front of consumers with new and exciting messages and, and frankly, to stay in our lane a little bit. You know, we have opportunities to do all sorts of things, but really keeping our eye on the prize of our core mission. And I will say that we also have a theme that we use that tends to be popular with people in the community, which is um, we also want to we want to provide hope, healing and life to as many people as possible, as creatively as necessary. Yes. And that creatively as necessary line is where we tend to try and live now. And that's why we do campaigns that feature assholes. That's why we do some avant-garde things that catch people by surprise. But we're also trying to learn from the experts, I would say, is something else that we always want to do. We're so fortunate to have the Mart Agency be our advertising agency. Um, they've been ad, the top ad agency in the world the last two years in a row. And we're so fortunate that they happen to, to work with us, which is incredible. So learning from what they're doing and what they're testing, you know, they're like, we're really great at selling car insurance. We're really great at selling Oreo cookies, right? We're really good at selling this stuff, mm -hmm. but they love us because they're like, you're selling the opportunity to save somebody's life. Um, no, that is, that's so cool. Well, and to be able to be involved in that too, right? And it's, I think that's one of the reasons why when I went to social work school, it was the ability to do something practical, the ability to, to see a direct change in someone's life or a direct impact. And so to have mm -hmm. the advertising company be able to have that experience as well. I'm sure they're profoundly grateful for that. So that was all the questions that we actually had for you. But for every guest, we always do this. We offer a Likert scale for how you're feeling today. It's kind of like our vitals check at the doctor's office. So I'm mm -hmm. going to frantically search my office for something that, okay, I'll tell you what, we are going to use your coffee as the Likert scale. So for, <laughs> yes, but, uh, so before our interview, uh, so that I can, since the listeners can't see our video, before the interview, uh, David uh, stepped out very quickly to go get his coffee so that he could, of course, fully participate in the interview caffeinated. And we are grateful for that. So on a scale of a lovely macchiato straight from Italy with the best freshest espresso roast you can have to really questionable backwoods Arkansas gas station coffee. Where do you find yourself today? <laughs> Not saying that Arkansas has bad coffee, but you know the gas station I'm talking say, about. You have a bunch of gas stations in Arkansas protesting you guys now. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, Kristen. I love Arkansas. Sign up to be an organ donor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say I'm somewhere between the middle and the top in there, you know. Okay. I like to drink my coffee just straight black, but it's got to be really good coffee. So I would say I'm a pretty good dark espresso roast coffee. How's that? Fair. 
Fair. Very good. I've never had that question before, so that's unique. That's pretty good. <laughs> and and Kristen, how how are you feeling? Hey, we've already we've talked about the importance of creativity. This is true. I am good. Let me see. On a scale on a scale of coffee, where do I find myself? I find myself actually in the coffee, the realm of the coffee I had this morning, which is a Starbucks coffee that, due to technological errors, unfortunately didn't make it on their side of the order. So I stood at the Starbucks for 30 minutes until we realized, oh, we never got your order. Uh, So I got the coffee I wanted. It just took a little longer to get there than I expected. Right on. Oh, that's funny. I was actually talking to a coworker earlier today about interesting or bad ideas that ended up being very successful. And we were joking about Starbucks. We're saying, you know, when they thought of the concept of Starbucks, I'm sure they went to investors and said, we're going to sell coffee and it's going to cost seven, eight dollars. And the average person's order is going to be $14 and we're going to be a coffee shop. And I'm sure they went, you're crazy. Nobody's going to pay $7 for coffee and nobody's going to buy mugs at a coffee shop. It's not going to happen. And here we are a lot Mm -hmm. of years later. Everybody's uh, getting it daily and getting their stars from it to buy more of it. Wonderful. Well, and and I'd say to, to wrap it up, I am more of that uh, Stoke cold brew where uh, I had to, to drink it quickly to let it uh, settle in very quickly. My day is kind of uh, on the go and flying quickly. <laughs> so I'm that Stoke jolt for me. But that being said, we, we do appreciate you, David, and, and we appreciate you playing with us on the Likert scale. Yeah, thank you so much. The work we do is and heavy. I would, um, I would welcome the opportunity to brainstorm some ways that we can leverage not only the two of you, but also your peers out there, you know, because it's oh. very genuine comments that, you know, we need those champions. And uh, I think we have a lot to learn from your daily experience as you work with people and sort of have your finger on the pulse of what, of how culture and how that translates in the way people are thinking, acting, and feeling about donation and transplantation. I think it's very mm-hmm. important. Absolutely. And that's something that I think we definitely would be interested on because you're exactly correct. When you talk about that human connections, that's that's our job. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes in a very quick manner, but we're also hands in the ground with our multidisciplinary teams too. So it's our patients, it's our other staff members, it's our colleagues from across the, the world, really. Um, but when we talk about about Donate Life America across the country that are, what is the new, what is the innovative, what is that? So I think this opens the door for a lot of lovely conversations. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Beats by Transplant Social Worker hosts Kristen and Tiffany and affiliated guests and programs expressly disclaim responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this podcast or in any media. And none of the persons and entities noted above endorse specifically any test, treatment, or procedure mentioned in the show. Always consult your own treatment team or institution for guidance on your individual care and or practice and policies.